It's so funny that when we start these podcasts, there's always that moment like leading up when we're discussing what we're going to talk about. We're very serious and like thinking through things. And then it's like we hit record and we're both like, okay, now time to smile. (laughs) So uh, what we want to talk about in this episode is that over the summer, we competed in the the OSV Innovation Challenge uh, going for a $100,000 grant for Strong Catholic Dad. And through that process, we had a lot of business coaching where they focused on, have you found a need in the market? And are you doing something that adequately addresses that need? And so we know, do do dads need to step up to the plate? Absolutely. Um, And and is what we're doing through, you know, through the podcast, through the See For Yourself Guide, something that, that can help dads? Yes. But the problem that we ran into is that our coaches, other competitors were telling us, Dads are one of the hardest markets to reach. And something that you've said that I would love for you to expound on is that the reason that dads are the hardest or one of the hardest markets to reach is because dads all think that they're doing fine. And at the point that they realize that maybe they could have been doing things better, it's it's almost too late. So can you expound on that a little bit? What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so... Let me go back to statistics. Uh, what we're facing, first of all, is that 85% of, of young Catholic adults, uh, by the time they reach, they graduate from, from college, are rejecting the faith. So we've got a massive hemorrhage of kids who are, and they're young adults who are saying, I'm done. Uh, what's more shocking is that studies have been done uh, by the Georgetown Kara Institute as to like what age did they actually decide to leave the faith? And statistically, it's the average age is 13. So this is, and a quarter of them make that decision by the age of 10. So this is happening well before college. And, and I've even thought, oh my gosh, you know, like it's important to go to, to send your child to a college where they're going to be supported in, in their faith. Um, yet uh, the... The problem really happened much earlier, and this is this is really the big challenge, uh, especially for us dads, because when we were in that OSV challenge, we you're always looking in um, from a business standpoint, from a ministry standpoint, you're trying to serve a need that people feel that they have, and so in some ways it's kind of easy to feed the hungry because people are hungry, um, and it's and somebody who's uh, spiritually hungry where they're just like I want to know truth. Um, in some ways, it's easy because they're they're coming to you and they're saying, you know, tell me the truth. Um, when it comes to parenting and the influence that we have on our children, the need that we have. It's, it's like it's, it's covered up and we don't feel it uh, when our kids are young, when they're older, when they're 15, 20, uh, and we start to see the, uh, the problems that are arising. And at that point, a lot of people are like, gosh, you know, like I need to be doing something. It's like, well, hold on. <laughs> we needed to be doing something 15 years ago. And it's not just dads in general. It's like, it's, it's me. Like the same thing, you know, happened to me is that uh, I was thinking that I was doing fine. And there were a lot of things that I was doing right. You know, there were a lot of, lot of good things. And there were a lot of um, things that I was doing wrong, <clears throat> but the impact wasn't there. So I didn't, I, I didn't see the, the negative consequences uh, right away. And actually, it took years for some of those negative consequences to be clear, at least to me. Um, some of those um, uh, my wife was seeing 
Uh, and she was, she was encouraging me like, Michael, spend more time uh, putting the kids down, spend more time uh, just when, <laughs> when one of the children come with a, a little picture to, that they want to show you, stop what you're doing, pay attention, and don't just do it like a robot. I'm like, oh, okay, that, that's nice, and move on. Because the kids totally, I mean, they read right through and they know what, uh, what you really think about that uh, by the, the attention that you put to it, by how you look in their eyes. So uh, the challenge is this, um, is that uh, like even as we we're going through talking to these business people, they said, well, you know, as soon as you hit on, on the need, you know, like it, it, everything will, will flow. So you must not have hit on the need yet. Um, yet some of the deeper thinkers said, no, we get it. We know that the need is there. You have the hardest nut to crack because you're trying to uh, solve for a need that people don't, that dads don't feel like they have <clears throat> yet. <clears throat> and I've said, it was like, that's exactly right. Uh, the, the dads who are most enthusiastic about what we're doing usually have kids who are a lot older and have kids out of the faith and have seen a lot of the crash and burn and said, gosh, I wish I had this uh, back when when my kids were younger. And so it's like, okay, great. We have this now, but we, we have this this huge barrier to entry is these dads are uh, are saying, well, I don't, I mean, they might say this sounds good, um, but then they don't, they don't act on it because they're, they're like not in pain and it's not immediately pleasurable so there's there's no pain <laughs> they kept me influenced out of pain they're not influenced out of pleasure yet even though in time when they start to spend this time with their kids um, and get into their parenting and make that be one of their action goals they they actually begin to enjoy their kids more but it's like starting exercise you know if you haven't been exercising for a while it's hard to get into it it's hard to get into the rhythm um it's painful at times um when you start to do it you get this endorphin high where it's just like you know this is this is good so um that's what we're up against is like we're asking uh, dads to do something that isn't immediately satisfying um intellectually it doesn't seem like they really need to do it um and it's only when they start to do it uh, and do it consistently that they begin to realize the results and they uh, they could be like me like i i would say half the family you were probably 10 or 12 years old when i started to clue into like i need to be doing more of this um now and then as as the older kids got older and i started to see um the problems that were coming up problems that we even you know needed to get counseling for uh, for myself and for Maria, but also uh, for the kids and just realizing, wow, oh my gosh, this, this happened even further back. Like it's like this happened when they were really young. Yeah. And, and to take it to a really practical level, this isn't something we actually discussed at length yesterday is this idea that, that if you look at religion as its own thing, as its own separate entity, then you're really doing it a disservice because religion is the glasses through which you look at the world. We're not just talking about dads don't take on the responsibility of teaching the faith until it's too late. Like, like that's part of it, but that's an incomplete part of it. It's almost like dads don't fully embrace the responsibility of being a father and everything that means for their kids. And, and that doesn't just mean being there during the tough times. It means times it means being there all of the time and i think that part of the reason why at least for me someone who's not a father but who had has nine younger siblings i've told you before i struggle with the age gap between like five and twelve it's really easy to spend a ton of time with my younger siblings when they're under five 
because they're super, super cute. You can basically say anything to them and they think it's the greatest thing ever. Um, you can, I used to sing songs to Vivian about how I was going to throw her in the lake and give her a spanking and all of this stuff and just like, you know, bust her chops all the time. And then she hit like five or six and I didn't know how to handle her anymore. She wasn't just a cute little kid anymore. She was like, kind of like starting to think more and more like a, like an older person, but not. And I just didn't know how to relate. And from, for a lot of my siblings between five and 12, I really didn't know what to talk to them about. I didn't know how to handle it. And then suddenly when they hit 12, 13, 14, well now they're interested in guys or girls. They're doing high school stuff. They're thinking about what they want to do for college, what they want to do with their lives. And now we can have intellectual conversations again. But if I were a dad, I would be missing out on seven of the most important years of my kids, my kids growing up. So I think that it's not just about passing on the faith. It's about building a relationship over the course of the entire 18 years you have with your kids. Mm -hmm. And it's it's never too early to start. In fact, you need to start as early as possible and you need to continue for as long as possible. Yes. And I would say that the the real power here is what you're struggling with, with uh, Vivian, who's who's six now and turning seven here. And she keeps reminding us how many days until she's going to turn turn seven, um, that uh, it, it comes back to the feedback loop is like, what kind of feedback are you getting from her? What uh, and how are you responding to that? And so when she's little, it's almost it's enjoyable to play with her because she responds. Uh, she'll get really excited and really sad. And you, you could uh, you could drag her all different kinds of directions. And it's pleasing to you and it's fun. Um, and they enjoy it, too. When they're getting older, they're looking for they're still looking for feedback. But it's just it's not as <laughs> it's not as enjoyable to uh, to be given to giving it to them because they don't respond in the same way. But they desperately need it. And so uh, like, what is a good parent? A good parent is an excellent mirror and an excellent mirror will show what is true, what is, what is, and what is good and also what is not. And so with, um, with our kids all during, you know, for the full 18 years, and then they would continue in that like six to 12 uh, range is that I need to be focusing and we as parents need to be focusing in on them and and looking to see what is true, just looking to see and speak it because uh, like a mirror doesn't just take in an image and then give you darkness. A good mirror reflects back what's really there. And so as a parent, I need to I need to be looking uh, for not just the dark spaces to say, correct that, bring that into the light. You know, like you did this wrong, which I did a lot of um, a lot. Of, I did a lot of negative parent corrective parenting i also have to bring out the the bright stuff and the bright stuff needs to not just be um things that society appreciates like are you you know are you beautiful according to societal standards and are you smart you know and are you athletic i mean those are kind of the big three that society says if you are those things you're good as parents we know that that if we if we bothered to get married <laughs> so we're married it's like we had to look far beyond you know the the intellect and the and the looks of our spouse to be like okay what's what's this person's heart like can i trust them and i remember actually this would be a, a this would be really helpful in parenting i had this moment when i was 
I was married for probably four or five years, and I listened to a Focus on the Family radio pot, uh, radio cast, and Dr. James Dobson talked about the importance of making a list of who of what you want in a spouse. And so I was listening to, to him, and he's like, you know, if you're a guy, you're going to put right at the top, you know, she's beautiful. And I was like, yes. And he's like, okay, now it's really important to do number two. It's like, okay, she's smart. It's like, okay, great. Keep going. And he said, make a list of 10 things. And so as I did, you know, okay, beautiful, smart, funny, it's like, okay, you know, there, there's, there's the top three. And then like it got started to get real serious. Like, well, she needs to be loyal. Um, like that's really important. Um, she needs to be like compassionate and, um, and I think that she needs to be truthful. And so I started listing these other things to fill out my, my, my 10. And then he said, now go back and rank them. And as I started to rank them, I was just like, well, what if I had like this beautiful wife, uh, but she was, uh, she wasn't loyal. She would, she would sleep around. I'd be like, oh, forget that. You know, I'm putting loyalty on top of beauty because I couldn't deal with that. Um, and then uh, what if she like was really beautiful, really funny, but she really wasn't compassionate. She really wasn't, um, she wouldn't really pay attention to you. I was like, okay, compassion goes on top of beautiful and funny. And what started to happen is like my beautiful, funny, uh, like all that stuff, like started moving down the list to the bottom because <laughs> all these other interior qualities were like so much more important. I was like, I'm not willing to trade out, you know, beauty for loyalty or a, a beauty for like, uh, like a, like a kindness. I was like, I want kindness before beauty and not that beauty isn't good and, and something that's really attractive, but those interior qualities, I started to realize, wow, I wish I had this before I got married. Now I feel like I, I scored because uh, Maria had those things in spades. Uh, so I bring that back into parenting is to like, to make that connection of, of what are those qualities that I need to be reflecting back and seeing in my child and then pointing those out to them. Like, you know, you were just kind right there. Um, and you, you were just, you were courageous and courage is really important. And to redefine beauty, um, from, uh, to, to not just have it be physical because it's important. It's, it's important to try to, uh, you know, comb your hair and to look, um, good for others, but there's only so much you can do with what you've got. And sure you can exercise and stuff, but you, you, you know, you've got, you know, a, you're limited. And so, but these other qualities, there's a lot you can do <laughs> with those. And our children need to be seeing that. And, and I feel like I had a huge advantage. I was a Boy Scout and I had to memorize the Scout law. And this, you know, a Boy Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Well, all of those qualities are, are great qualities, um, as well as if you look at the, the theological virtues you know, wonderful gifts that are infused by God of faith, hope, and love. You know, is this a faithful person? Is this a hopeful, trusting person? Is this a loving, uh, charitable person? And the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so those things are worth memorizing because it'll help you in your parenting as you're looking for, like I was, I, I feel like I was kind of retarded in how I looked at other people because it was mainly through this lens of, intellect, beauty, and athleticism. And I had to shift it to be like, you know, those things, I, this great athletic wife, um, uh, but she's mean, <laughs> like forget the athleticism. Um, uh, or she's not courageous. If somebody, you know, she's not willing to stand up for my child, I'm like, I need you to stand up. I need your heart to be willing to, you know, defend and protect. Um, so given that when it comes to our parenting, like what do I do in, you know, for the full ages, what do I need to do? What do I need to focus in on is, is pointing out to our children those wonderful qualities 
early on. And if you need to memorize a list, memorize a list, you know, memorize a list of virtues and start to complement for those because they're so much more important when your child um, decides to be like, I've, I've seen my kids, they'll say, hey, dad, you know, can you put $10 into the collection? You know, here's $10. And they're tithing it like they're, they're generous. And that's one, one of the, you know, the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit is that like that you'd be um, generous and, and goodness. And so, um, the upshot of that is if those messages are constantly be, being given to our children, they're almost like moorings out in the middle of a tumultuous, you know, wavy uh, water where it's like, you know, like there's a storm going on and like, what do I hold on to? If I try to hold on to beauty, good luck, it's going to go. Athleticism, you know, good, you know, do that as much as you can, but it's like, it's not a permanent thing. Um, intellect, you know, there's times where you're not going to do as well as you, you hope to do. Um, again, you do your best with that, but your efforts to be uh, to be charitable, to be self-sacrificing, like I needed to compliment you, my older kids. I didn't do it nearly like I needed to uh, when you guys were younger, so that you would see the real value. So that when I say that you're beautiful, beautiful has a whole different definition than just the how how cut your your chin is and and how big your muscles are. Um, and I, again, I, I would say from parenting standpoint, I don't think I did that well. I, I wanted to push back on this a little bit because I definitely agree that pointing out the virtues in your kids, the things that they can choose to be, who they're, they're becoming is far more than physical beauty. And I think that there are, I can still remember compliments you gave me on who I was choosing to become that, that I, you know, didn't forget. And I mentioned one of them in, in one of the last episodes of the podcast. But on the other side, you've also told stories of how you with uh, one of my sisters thought that she was physically very beautiful and you felt like you shouldn't tell her that because then she would get a big head and you've come to regret that. Why? Why? Because, uh, because I chose not to tell her cause I was afraid she would get a big head. I didn't say it, uh, not only enough, I didn't say it at all. And then she was convinced that she was unattractive and what was really difficult with that is that she that convincing that she was unattractive is like a rut in the road that is hard to fill in. I mean, if you go out right now into the street and you find some area where there's uh, where the pavement has a rut in it, try to fill it with water. That's not going to work. Try to put dirt in there. That's not going to work. You can even put in um, some more asphalt and that'll eventually break out too. It's just like, this is the only thing you have to, you can do is like grind up the road and start over. Well, we can't do that in life. I mean, God can do that by his grace. And so what I, so with that, I, I, I just thought, gosh, and I've shifted gears with the younger kids, um, poor older kids that had to, we had to learn and you had to be the guinea pigs. Um, but to point out even the physical beauty, I was like, this is important and you are beautiful. So it's an array of all of those things, those interior qualities and also on the external, because every, every person, there are qualities in every person that are beautiful. And then, so as, as a, uh, as a, as a father trying to reflect my father in heaven, he sees all the goodness and beauty too. And so it's like, I need to be more like him and reflect, reflect that to, to my kids. Yeah. And the, the definition of humility that I love is that humility is all that is true. 
Mm. I think that you talked about that list of, of, of 10 qualities you're looking for in a spouse. And loyalty is obviously more important than physical beauty, but physical beauty is also important. And if you have a child who has all of these virtues that they're practicing, but they're also created by God and God doesn't make mistakes when he creates people, then it's also appropriate to compliment the physical, the physical beauty. Mm-hmm. I know for me, I, I remember distinctly, I was uh, 10, probably 12, um, and I was in line uh, to to serve. I was in my cassock and surplus, um, and we were serving at this this family camp, uh, about to serve mass. And uh, all of the kids were lined up in order of height, so everybody in front of me was pretty much younger. Everybody behind me was older. And there were a couple of teenagers behind me who had been at the teen program the night before. And the speaker had made the joke that he had six kids and that his wife was sexy. And they were laughing about how funny that was because that's what teenagers think is funny and me being a conscientious uptight you know homeschooled kid turn and i'm like hey we're about to go serve mass you shouldn't be joking about that and i remember the kid and his name to this day i won't repeat it but he looked at me and he said you know what the thing is john andrew you're probably never going to have a sexy wife and i didn't reply to it because he said something that I believed to be true. He tapped into the fact that I did not believe I was attractive. And so the corollary of that was, if I don't believe I'm attractive, then that means I don't deserve to be with somebody who I find attractive. And I think that uh, that was age 12. That wasn't something I figured out when I was a teenager. That was age 12. And I remember at age 10 feeling like I was a hundred pounds at 10 years old. That must mean that I'm fat. So I'm not attractive. And Looking back now, coming back to this idea of, of, you know, it's never too early to start, you know, being the father you need to be to your kids. I don't recall ever. In fact, the only thing I can remember ever being told about my physical appearance was um, mom actually like in the carpet drawing out this graph, this like curve of attractiveness and pointing to not the most attractive and say, saying this is where you are. It was probably at like 70 percent or something. And my brain at eight or nine was like, oh, so I'm not attractive. That's what I took away from that. And that, again, at 10, at 12, compounded, and it got to the point where there were things, there have been things in the last year that I've dealt with that come from that underlying rut, Mm. you know? And that's Mm. why it's so, so important to realize, like, these interactions that, that you have when a kid is five, six, seven, eight, they're creating the pathways upon which the rest of the life of that kid is going to be to be built. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really agree. One of the things that has been said about uh, people who have a life after death experience is that when they try to explain what it is like to be in the presence of Christ, so they've you know they died, came back, and they said like what it was it like to be with God and. They struggle to say, well, what is this? But there's one word that they commonly say is that they say, I felt cherished. So it's this gaze uh, from God where like he sees the good in you and he loves you in a way that you feel. You feel it so much that the people said, I didn't want to come back. Like I've not been cherished like that here on earth. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, um, like I can remember times, you know, for my dad and for my mom when they 
uh, looked at me and said, wow, Michael, like you really did a good job. And I could tell that they really, really believed it. They weren't just paying lip service. Um, and so knowing that, you know, looking back now, I think, gosh, it's so important that it's almost easier to cherish this cute little infant, um, which is so important, so, so important uh, because those pathways uh, start even in utero where you're not even looking at them like they hear, uh, the, the children can hear and they can sense, you know, is, is mom scared or is mom at peace? Does mom love? I mean, they can feel that early on and then right when they're out. But that needs to continue because that that cherishing. So if there's one thing you can remember in this podcast is like, and you have to pray to God because there's a big challenge. Somebody could say, well, okay, you're just telling us go cherish. Like I, I, I can't just go do that. And it's like, I totally understand. Um, because this starts with, you have to back it up. It's like, because if you don't feel cherished, it's hard to cherish. Um, and mother Teresa said this thing that, uh, if there is no love insert love and you will find love. And so it's like, yes, we need to act in love. We need to cherish. But in order for us to be filled up, you know, like we need to turn to God. And that's like my consistent morning prayer, which I didn't make this morning because I had a headache. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'll just give you a short aspiration and say, you know, thank you for the day. Um, but the consistency of my prayer, what happens in the midst of that is that when I am praying every morning, I really feel like God is answering me. And the way I feel like he's answering is he's giving, he, like there'll be a specific scripture verse that comes up. And it was like, I was just thinking of that thing. And then it happened to, happened to be the reading of the day. And in that moment, I really feel cherished, like I'm listened to, like he cared. So in a similar way, I need to draw from that that morning cherishing that God is doing with me and showing me that like he loves me and that he is taking care of me. And, you know, from that turn around and give that to my children. And so it takes my will. I have to be intentionally looking for um, the good in them. So like we can do that. And it, even if you don't feel cherished, do it anyway, cherish anyways, <laughs> like reach out and do this. Because again, when these little kids are, are little it's just like like you are do you are building a foundation that is so strong if they really feel cherished and it's not the false mirror where you only show good qualities like it's the good and the stuff that needs to be needs to change and so it's like as i'm showing that and um and i'm just asking god like i at some point i i asked him when it with regard to my wife i was like lord help me to love maria the way that you do help me to see her the way that you do um, and that's a powerful prayer. Well, you know, I, I should have taken that as well to the kids and say, so I will say it now, Lord, help me to see each one of my children the way that you do and to really cherish them because it ain't just about me. <laughs> um, it's about what it's the for, the formation that's happening in their lives. So when, when dads, uh, like when, when they're saying like, oh, I don't, I, you know, like I'm doing good enough. It's just like, Oh boy, uh, beware. That's almost the killer when you think you're doing doing good enough. And not that you should be saying, oh, I'm screwing up all the time. It's just like, no, that you need to see that there's more to do. And I this happened two days ago. I was walking through um, the family room and I just thought, you know, like when's the last time I bless my kids when they go to bed, but when's the last time I just did like a random hug. And so like I went to, you know, the kids and I started, you know, put my hand on, on this one's head and, and uh, kind of do a fake tackle with the other one. Uh, and it was interesting because I did, there was a split second where uh, with my 13-year-old, like I just, I kind of snuck up on her and wrapped, wrapped her up. Um, and she, and she kind of turned and she just gave me this look 
and a little bit of a smile. And I could tell she just felt cherished right there. But like that I took the time to say like, you're worth me putting my arms around you. Like, and I, and I want to be with you. Um, so again, it was getting out of my own head and saying like, what can I do to really love them and love them again early on? I, I think that there's a, a balance here between <laughs> kids, human beings in general, but but kids especially are really good at understanding your intentions. I think that that if if as I'm hearing this, and I think, well, I don't know what I would say to cherish somebody. It's like that's not important. The words are not important. You know, what's important is did I seek out something about this person? Choose to open my eyes to something about this person that's worth cherishing. And if I'm doing that, and then I'm doing my best to act upon it the words don't matter. In that case, it sounds like it wasn't even words. It was just a, a physical action. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I would, and I would say, you know, to wrap up this podcast that, that clearly uh, my faith has really helped me do better in my parenting because the ultimate goal in heaven is to be face to face with God. But the wording that we say that we use is to behold the face of God. And so, and so, and there's something that in there that is ultimately satisfying to us to be held by God and then to know, okay, like if I hunger for this so much, so too do my kids. And it's easier for them to behold God when they have been beheld by the representative of God in their life, me and their their mom. And so to behold our children is really just to look them in the eye, to pay attention, to look for the good, to look for what's uh, true and just and hold it. And, and, and that's what cherishing is about. It's about beholding another person, recognizing their existence, seeing them for who they are. That's all we have time for today. If you like what you've heard on the podcast, please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and encourage your friends and family to do the same. If you want to support the work of Strong Catholic Dad, you can become a monthly sponsor for as little as $5 a month. I quit my job back in 2018 uh, to found Strong Catholic Dad, and as of right now, it's not enough to pay the bills. So anything that you can do is appreciated. Until next time, be strong in faith, strong in hope, and strong in love. God bless. God bless.